following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. And open your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to finish the chapter today. And I would like to ask you, why would anybody want to be more like a charismatic? That's right. I'm a diehard cessationist. I'm a non-charismatic in every way. But uh, when I heard about another conference that was going to biblically expose all the errant doctrine that comes out of that particular movement, I was very excited. I said, yes, amen. But I also had a big concern. And the concern was something that maybe you can identify with. It's the danger. Are you ready? Overreaction. Sometimes we tend to overreact to bad theology. And in doing so, we miss out on some very important truths that are a part of the Christian life. Um, we don't believe in the sign gifts. We believe that spiritual gifts, but not the sign gifts that were part of the apostolic age. So now, Reformed churches, sadly, there's little teaching on the exercising of the normal spiritual gifts that are talked about in 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11. That's just a normal expression of genuine Christianity. Uh, we don't believe in the second or later baptism of the Holy Spirit, but now in a lot of Reformed or conservative churches, they rarely teach about the filling of the Spirit out of Ephesians 5.18, which is definitely a sound doctrine, and it's something that is very clearly taught in the Scripture. And I could go on and on by telling you, I think you catch my drift, that sometimes we overreact. And we overreact to the point where we kind of miss the truth that God wants to impress upon us. The pendulum swings too far, especially today, concerning the role and the function of the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God in and through our lives, living filled with the Spirit, developing a walk with the Spirit, and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, are super solid, very much expected doctrines that come out of the text, and yet somehow, even though they're essential to your spiritual health, and they are part of sound doctrine, we have minimized that. So today, we get a chance to kind of fire up in an area that a lot of us have missed, or we've moved away from, or we shy away from, kind of like spirit, pouring spiritual gas on your fire, or a motivational kick. You and I must pursue the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. Are you with me? That's what we need to do. It's Galatians chapter 5, so open your Bibles if you're not there already. Chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. This is Faith Bible Church. You need to have a Bible. Thank you. And so therefore, I just randomly picked this passage today. That's right. It's uh, because I wanted you to be more fruitful. Uh, I wanted you to be more concerned about the Spirit. I, I wanted you to be a church that produces more fruit. I'm hoping that there'll be more evidences of the Spirit in your life and in the church. And I'm praying that the fruit makes you singles a little bit more picky and your marriage a little more hopeful. And I'm desiring that you'd be clear on whether you're truly saved or just a self-deceived pretender. Now, what I just said, hopefully you're picking up on this, all those are true. I want that all for you and all for our response to this particular passage but the one thing that was untrue that I said is I picked this passage. I didn't pick this passage. We're teaching this passage today because it falls after verse 21. Do you understand that God picked the passage today? We're just working our way verse by verse, trying to determine the author's intended meaning. I didn't do any picking. And you know what that means? That God wanted you to be here today to hear this. All right? It wasn't me that picked it. It was God that picked it. Come on, be impressed by that. So therefore, I want you to read out loud the passage that we're going to be looking at starting in verse 22. Ready, everyone? From your outline, let's read it together. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Wow, today you need to know the function, you need to know the flavor and the fingerprints of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's 
understand all of it in its context. Number one in your outline, track with me in your outline, is demonstrate the function of the fruit. How you think about the fruit of the Spirit will affect the way you minister. It'll affect the way you live. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your friendships. It'll affect your spiritual growth and your character. Look what he says in 522. Look at that phrase. But the fruit of the Spirit is. Now notice, very importantly, what precedes this but. Right? What is he contrasting? Right? It's fruit of the Spirit. What's it contrasted to? Well, look at verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Look at verse 21. If you practice those deeds of the flesh then such things like that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is pretty dramatic. He's saying there's a big difference between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Very big difference. So first in your outline, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit is a supernatural action. Some of you craving for supernatural evidences, that's part and parcel of the fruit of the Spirit through your life contrasting the deeds of the flesh that we looked at last Sunday, verses 19 to 21, is now the but, the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. Now the deeds of the flesh, we talked about it last week, are things that you do. The fruit of the Spirit is something that God does. Are you getting the difference? In other words, one of them is basically done by you and accomplished by your efforts And the other one is done by God and accomplished by His efforts. One is through self, and the other one through the Spirit of God. It's supernatural in the sense that you do the deeds of the flesh, and God does the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you understand that it is the fruit, look at that layer, of the Spirit. Meaning it belongs to Him, it's of Him, and you know that every true Christian in this room if you are a genuine believer, are you are indwelt with the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 tells you that anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You're not a Christian unless you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But in God's plan, it is his plan for you to cooperate with the Spirit of God, even though he's sovereign, you are to cooperate with him by being filled with the Spirit. And being indwelt means you have all the Spirit, But being filled is your part of the cooperation means the Spirit has all of you. And he says in Ephesians 5.18, what's he say? Anybody know? Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's a continual command, which means 24-7. As you're driving down the road, as you get up in the morning, as you get dressed, as you interact with your spouse, as you deal with your kids, as you go to work, you are to be filled 24-7 with the Spirit of God. It's to obey His work through you. It's continual. It's ongoing. It's a command you can't ignore. And it's passive, which means it has to be done to you. So you've got to be dependent. Want the Spirit's filling through you. Interesting enough, being filled with the Spirit is also linked to the parallel passage in the book of Colossians. And they're parallel books. So Colossians 3.16, which is parallel to Ephesians 5.18, says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And then the fruit of that is the same as being filled with the Spirit. So filled is dependence upon the Spirit of God, wanting the filling as you walk in obedience to God's word. And you could add that there would be nothing between you and the Lord. You want him to work through you. You desire his will above your will. You desire to serve him not what you want to do you desire to speak of him not what you would speak about and therefore you're like a little two-year-old or a one-year-old who's walking with your heavenly father your hand is in his hand dependently relying on him as you step out in obedience to his word you're depending while you're obeying are you tracking with me this is being filled with the spirit him through you desiring this and as you live life filled with the spirit you develop a habitual walk in the Spirit. Walk in your New Testament is describing lifestyle, how you live your life. And filling 24-7, all the time, constantly, when you confess, you mess up, you seek to be filled again, you're developing a walk over time as you continue to be filled over and over again. And therefore, it's more of the manifestation of the Spirit in you than you. So therefore, He increases and you what? Decrease. So understand, 
As I live dependent upon the Spirit of God, walking obedience to the Word of God, God supernaturally works through me to produce His fruit. Fruit comes from God through you. So therefore, you want to write it down, God through you, and write down, you can't, He can. You can't do this, but He can. And therefore, we're relying on Him to produce that through you. That's where fruit comes from, God through you. Secondly, producing fruit of the Spirit, it comes from pursuing the Spirit's fruit, and it helps you to overcome your sin. It helps you to overcome sin. Pursuing spiritual behavior of verse 16, take a look back there, verse 16, of living dependently obedient as a pattern of life has the positive effect of causing a true believer and every one of you in this room who is to put away the habitual evil deeds of the flesh and allow the Spirit to show his fruit through you. Now, you've read your New Testament, so part of sanctification is fleeing certain things and pursuing certain things. Track it with me? So you're fleeing youthful lusts, and you're pursuing righteousness. You're pursuing being like Christ. Well, here's the key about pursuing being filled with the Spirit, pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. As you're pursuing that, what are you fleeing from? The deeds of the flesh. That's why they're in contrast to each other here. So the more you begin to pursue being filled moment by moment, developing a walk in the Spirit, the less and less you're going to be dealing with the deeds of the flesh. The choices that you make, you're wanting what God wants, not what you want, so you're pursuing Him. Track it with me. So I put up here a bowl of fruit, right? Fruit of the Spirit, fruit. Thank you, thank you. Just enjoy the moment, all right? I'm taking this home with me, so don't get all weird on me. All right, so... Understand, I made the bowl full. And the reason I wanted it full was because when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And there's not a lot of room in this bowl for other stuff. Would you agree? So the point is, is the more you fill your life with the fruit of the Spirit, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, the less you're going to be dealing with the deeds of the flesh. You'll still battle with it. You still have the sin residuum. You're still going to struggle with temptation. There's going to be battles there. But the more you pursue letting the Spirit manifest Himself through you, the less you're going to deal with the deeds of the flesh. It's part and parcel why the Bible says, flee these things, run away from them, but pursue. A lot of Christians in this room, the truth be known, they spend all their time putting out fires. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to say that thing. I don't want... And you know what? You're kind of missing the boat because what he wants you to do is pursue him, keep your eyes focused on him, letting the Spirit of God work through you. And as you do, these things are going to be less and less pull in your life, less and less struggle. You're still going to struggle until you go through that door to heaven, but understand it's going to be less and less as you begin to pursue the Lord. It's simple physics, my friend, okay? As you pursue Christ, you're walking away from sin, you're pursuing showing the fruit of the Spirit, it pushes out the deeds of the flesh. That's why it's in contrast to the deeds of the flesh that we looked at last week. This is now the direction that he wants you to manifest as God's true children. Number three in your outline. Make certain you realize that producing the Spirit's fruit is all or nothing, this is painful, but true. The big contrast between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit in the Greek is that the products of the flesh are plural, whereas the product of the Spirit is singular. Now some of you are going, what in the world does that mean? Let me help you. The deeds of the flesh are individual, but the fruit of the Spirit is corporate. What that means is all the graces of the Spirit are actually one fruit. They're not individual fruits. They're one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is one whole spiritual life, spiritual fruit that is rooted in one Spirit of God. These virtues are not nine different gems, but nine different facets of the same dazzling gem. Are you tracking? One big fruit. Now, spiritual fruit is different than spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, God gives us at the point of salvation one or two or three or four, a combo of gifts typically where we're gifted to serve, gifted to put Christ on display. That's talked about in the scripture in multiple places. 
And like gifts, you don't pick what you want in spiritual fruit. You don't pick and choose among the spiritual fruit the way you sort out the produce at the supermarket. You know, I want a few cucumbers, I want a few... You don't do that. There's only one fruit. One fruit, what every Christian displays, albeit true in varying quantities, with different degrees of sweetness and intensity, but the fruit is all or none. You don't say, well, I want a little love, and, you know, forget the other ones. No, you get the whole package or you get none of it. Tracking with me? That's what he means when he says singular. And the contrast here is pretty dramatic between the special produce of the Spirit and the bitter deeds of the flesh. It's very sharp, the contrast, because although a person might habitually practice one or two or three or six of the flesh sins, the deeds of the flesh that you do, it would be practically impossible for one person to do all the deeds of the flesh all the time at the same time. But the fruit of the Spirit is always produced completely in every believer, no matter how faintly evidenced in its various manifestations. Again, it's all or nothing. So when you're saying, I want to seek to show the fruit of the Spirit, do you get just love? Yes or no? No, you get all the fruit in varying degrees, but you get all the fruit. It's the Spirit manifesting Himself through you. Fourthly, in your outline, the true heart of a believer desires much fruit. Now, the Bible does talk a lot about fruit. And fruit is mentioned some 106 times in the Old Testament. And it's listed 70 times in the New Testament. And even God's people in the Old Testament, believers produced good fruit, but never in their own strength. They never did. Always by God's power. God says in Hosea, chapter 14, verse 8, from me comes your fruit. It was always from God. And in the New Testament, as you study fruit, you will find that giving praise to the Lord, if you're filled with the Spirit, is producing fruit. Winning converts to Christ is producing fruit. Serving Christ in ministry, as long as you're filled with the Spirit, are fruitful and spoken of spiritual fruit produced through believers, but only when you're filled with the Spirit. Only when you're relying on the Holy Spirit and not yourself. The moment you rely on yourself, it's not spiritual fruit. It's not going to last. In fact, the Holy Spirit never fails to produce fruit in a believer's life. And it's the Lord's desire and every believer's true desire that you would produce much fruit. What's he say in John 15, verse 8? Take a look at it in your outline. It says, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear what? Much fruit. So prove to be my disciple. Now listen, an unredeemed person with an old nature fallen nature, sinful nature, is inevitably going to manifest that nature with the deeds of the flesh, what you do. And a believer, a Christian, hopefully you, who's possessed by this new, all things become new nature, will inevitably manifest their new nature with the fruit of the Spirit. It will happen, which is always kind of concerning when you don't see fruit in someone's life over a long period of time. Now, let me put it to you this way. How desirous are you this morning of manifesting the fruit of the Spirit? How desirous are you of God working through you? I like to illustrate it with this tumbler. See, I brought a tumbler with me today. So normally, as we just live in our own strength, this is your life right here, okay? It's just, you're just this way. You're not going to get a lot of liquid in here. Anybody with me on this? It's not going to collect anything. Are you tracking with me so far? It's just like this. Listen, just take a mug in your house today and put it on its side and just leave it there all week long as a reminder. This is you when you're living in your own strength. The moment you say, I want God, I want God through me, I want to be filled with the Spirit, I want to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, you're like this. You're willing, you're receptive, and then you can actually see God in you and through you. You tracking with me? It needs to be receptive. Are you willing? Are you desirous of having God working through you? That's the point. Are you dependent? Are you ready? Are you willing to be fruitful in the service of Christ? Listen, if you're not willing, this is you. If you're just normal, everyday life, this is you. It's you have to make a conscious choice to receive the Spirit of God in the sense of His filling, not His indwelling, so that He would work through you. Tracking with me? So you have the Spirit, but He's not going to just automatically manifest Himself. Your 
involvement of willingness and desire for Him to be working through you, and that's where you desire much fruit. So if you go through life in that manner, you're going to be producing fruit. So how willing, how want to are you? That's the big question today. So fifthly, the fruit of the Spirit is intended to be evidence for genuine salvation. So if you're genuinely saved, you're going to want to produce fruit. Can I hear an amen to that? You are. You're going to want to. The deeds of the flesh are easy. The flesh is, is doing what comes naturally. It is. You don't have to try to live in the flesh, what we looked at last week. You don't have to work at it. But you've got to live dependently, reliantly, wantingly to live in the Spirit by faith. It's got to, it's, it takes an action. And, and if you're in Christ, your old man's dead. That new nature will want to produce fruit of the Spirit. If you have the new inner man, the new indwelling Holy Spirit, then you will be brandishing the fruit of the Spirit. He'll be manifested, which informs you that the fruit of the Spirit is outward indicator of true salvation. Again, just like ongoing presence of the deeds of the flesh will indicate that you're not a Christian, verse 21, look what he says, verse 21, those who practice such things will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. The opposite of that is what? Well, a Christian, a professor, a true child of God, hopefully you, will be evidencing by the manifestation of spirit-produced fruit in your life. This is exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say? Matthew chapter 7, verses 16, 17, and 18. He said, you will know them by their... Okay, one more time. Did Jesus say that you'll know them by their fruits? Did Jesus say that? Guess what? That means you'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Paul's writing the Galatians about the deeds of the flesh that they do, and the fruit of the Spirit that God does, so they, they might distinguish between those who claim to be Christians and who are not, and those who are genuinely born again. Some of their myths are trusting in their good deeds, their actions, their religion, you know, coming to church, somehow as an evidence that somehow they're born again. And some of those are being influenced by those false teachers who are saying, look, to really be saved, you've got to keep the law, you've got to get circumcised, you've got to go to the festivals. And basically, Paul's saying, no, it's those who depend on the finished work of Christ by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, will manifest the fruit of the Spirit. It will be obvious that they're born again. It'll be clear. And Jesus clearly said, you will know them by their fruit. And that's the function of fruit. So you also know, secondly in your outline, let's display the flavor of the fruit. Let's find out what we should be seeing in our lives and through the lives of genuine believers. Paul lists nine representative characteristics of the godly fruit produced by the Spirit in believers' life. And though they're multiple characteristics, they are all one fruit and they are inseparably related to one another. They're all going to be there. In varying degrees. And though they're individually commanded throughout the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit is not produced, nor can it be manifested in isolation from the other fruit. So what are they? Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, from the Spirit, comes from the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's look at each one of them, each facet of this one incredible gem, all right? The package of fruit that you get when you're dependent upon the Lord and filled with the Spirit. Love is actually a word that was patented, uh, patented by the New Testament writers. It really wasn't in any literature before the New Testament. And it is a selfless affection that enables you to serve one another and sacrifice one another. You might want to write that down. It's a selfless affection that allows you to serve one another and sacrifice for one another. This is the, the love in the New Testament that is somewhat divorced from emotional highs and lows. Sometimes you can definitely love with agape without any emotion behind it, but it's a service and a sacrifice for others. 
It is the most important virtue. It is the greatest. God made certain that you, His children, would show His love because He says in Romans 5, 5, His love is shed abroad in our hearts. Are you ready for that? That means don't pray for more love. Don't do it. Pray that you would show the love He's already put in you because He already put it in your heart. It's shed abroad in your heart. In fact, He says if we don't love, we are an empty, useless, obnoxious noise. The entire Old Testament is summarized by loving our neighbor. In fact, if we have the world's good and we see our brother in need and we don't meet that need and close our hearts, the love of God does not abide in us. If we don't love others, we don't love God. And if we love God and we only love God and we love Him because He first, what? Loved us. Our Lord is the supreme example of love and is sacrificing Himself for His friends. And you and I are to be known for our love at school, at work, at home. For without it, we cannot claim to be believers. That's how strong this is. And only the Holy Spirit can empower you to biblically love the Lord and others. Joy is the second aspect of that giant gem, and it's used about 70 times in the New Testament. Joy is not so much happiness as it is a settled commitment. A settled commitment being in Christ and saved by His sacrifice for us Joy is not a spontaneous response to some temporary pleasure, all right? Joy doesn't depend on circumstances. So how you doing? If you say, oh, I'm doing fine under the circumstances, I would say, what are you doing under there, all right? You're not supposed to be there. Joy is a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a believer who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. Now, let's talk just a second about Security. Again, security is something that God does. And is there anything in your life that can separate you if you're a Christian from the love of God? Anything? Yes or no? No. So therefore, joy comes from the reality that no matter your best day, your worst day, I can't be separated because I am well with Him. My sin is forgiven. I'm ready for heaven. And even though we have not seen Christ, we can experience joy inexpressible because we are heaven-bound. We are currently made new. We are graciously forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. Christ was motivated by joy to endure the cross for us in such a way that He had this incredible relationship with His Father and that joy that He gives to each of you is a joy that He commands for you to rejoice always and that's joy. That absolute foundational all is well between you and the Lord. And with joy comes peace. Now peace is that sense of wholeness and well-being. In fact, John MacArthur writes, if joy speaks of the exhilaration of a heart that comes from being right with God, then peace refers to the tranquility of mind that comes from that saving relationship. Now, the Greek word peace here has to do with binding together, and it really is describing what we would say is he has his act together or she has his act together. Why? Because we know that God causes how many things to work together for good? All things. So we have peace, knowing that God and us are right, and we have peace with Him, and that makes us able to actually make peace with other people because we have that peace with Him. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace, telling you that He is supremely peaceful Himself, and He also gives true peace of heart to those who are His. So we enjoy that peace. Patience, uh, this is a big one, especially for men for some reason, is long-suffering in the face of hardship. It's the ability to undergo adversity. Patience has to do with a tolerance that endures injury inflicted by others with a calm willingness to accept situations that are irritating and sometimes even harmful. Patient person has a slow fuse, right? Being steadfast and persistent, willing to suffer aggravation, even persecution without complaint, slow to anger, you expect Basically, because Christ is slow to anger, that we would also be slow to anger. Kindness. Kindness is more than a random consideration. You might want to write down a tender concern for others. A tender concern for others. 
It is a readiness to help people around us through practical actions of caring. The Lord was caring. He's always, kids were always around him, caring for them. Even his invitation and call to salvation, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest is kind. It's a kindness. Goodness was a term that was borrowed by a lot of pagan religions and it had to do with moral and spiritual excellence as seen by, write these words down, sweetness and thoughtfulness. Goodness, sweetness and thoughtfulness. You know Joseph of Joseph and Mary? He's described as not only good but, and righteous, but he couldn't bear the thought of disgracing Mary but desired to put her away secretly because he was good. Or David, who would have despaired had he not seen the goodness of the Lord. Goodness points to the Lord's generosity and it's seen from his people who are also generous. So are you good? Faithfulness is a heart that's loyal and trustworthy. And the faithful person is reliable, loyal to friends, and dependable in emergency. You got a friend like that? That's a faithful friend. And in the midst of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire, I mean, Jerusalem is wiped out, Lamentations, chapter 3, right in the center of the chapter, God says, even though Jerusalem is wiped out, great is thy, what? Faithfulness. Christ was faithful to come the first time as our Savior, and He's also faithful to come again as the reigning King, because He's described as the King who would be one who is faithful and true. Faithful and true. Gentleness, you might want to put above that word, it's better translated meekness. Meekness is more inward than outward. It is a humble, gracious attitude that patiently is submissive under any offense. In fact, while being free of any desire for revenge or payback. Right? Wait, you missed that, didn't you? Free from any revenge and any payback. Internally. You might not express it, but what's going on in your heart? Meekness is called power under control. The meek believer is not prone to anger. He's humble, sweet, and mild, embracing that they deserve wrath, but they receive mercy. Meekness. In the New Testament, meekness is described with three attitudes. Write them down. Submissiveness, teachableness, and consideration for others. Submissiveness, teachableness, and consideration of others. You and I are to wear meekness as if there are clothes. That's how prevalent it's to be in our life. And the last one is everyone's least favorite aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. It has to do with restraining your passions, limiting your appetites, especially as it relates to sensual matters like eating, drinking, sex, and especially coffee. All right? This fruit prevents liberty from becoming licensed, and a person with self-control has the restraint and the discipline to not be ruled by their passions and emotions and desires. Did you get that? Not be ruled by their emotions, emotions, not be ruled by their passions, and therefore able to resist temptation. I had a friend, uh, it was a couple, Jean and I were a couple, and for about three to four months, long time ago, uh, we would get together once a week and we would crack open a half gallon of ice cream. Anybody done that? Just This was our ice cream buddies, all right? So it was always a different flavor every week. And it was amazing that every week I'd be scraping my bowl, I'd be licking my bowl. You wouldn't have to wash my bowl. It was just done. I'd get everything out of there. But my friend Ray would always leave a clump, a big clump, bigger than a spoonful of ice cream in the bottom of the bowl every week. And after about the fourth week, it drove me crazy. And I'd go, Ray, you're wasting ice cream. You know, as if it was God's gift to mankind. And Ray said this. I want to make sure that I'm in control of the ice cream and the ice cream is not in control of me. And I went, bammo, self-control, self-control. Now the catalog of spiritual virtues that he's listed here, look at verse 23, is not exhaustive. He says in verse 23, against such things, that tells you that like the fruit, against such things, some graces are not on the list against these things, these type of things, this, this aspect of fruit, like hope or faith or perseverance, which occur in the New Testament repeatedly, reminding you that the point really isn't the character traits, but the entire lifestyle they represent, that it's Christ through you, that this is you manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, God through you. And then he adds, against such things there is no law. 
And as you study this phrase, I thought it was pretty tasty, three things kind of came to bear. One was, even unbelievers don't make laws against the fruit of the Spirit. You know why? Because even unbelievers know that they're not harmful. They may look at you and go, oh, you're meek, that's weakness. And they may mock you, but they know they do no harm. Even the world treasures the fruit of the Spirit as being character that should be valued. And then there's no law of God against such things. What he's saying there is since the Lord wants all men to have this fruit, that once you turn to Christ and you're indwelt with the Spirit, you will manifest this fruit once you're His child. And then thirdly, there's this emphasis for the false teachers. You say, what's that? They want the Galatians to live by the law of God. And here's what's cool, cool. When you're filled with the Spirit and you're manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, there's, there's no law. You're just God through you. There's no rules. There's no externals. There's no obligations for you. You're just manifesting God through you. The fruit of the Spirit rises within you and through you against such things. There's no law. You don't need a system of obedience to manifest this. You just need dependence upon the Spirit of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit that sets you apart and makes you and me attractive. By the way, it's one of the things that makes our church so attractive. There's so many people here who seek to be filled with the Spirit. Not perfectly. And we all kind of, you know, flesh out from time to time. But understand, when that becomes a dominant attitude, it changes the nature of a church family. And that's what's so sweet. In fact, we should look at, number three in your outline, the fingerprints of the Spirit. Watch for the fingerprints of the Spirit. That's why he concludes with this, because all persons who belong to Christ Jesus by faith in his sacrificial saving work have crucified their flesh. Look at Galatians 5.24. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Wait a minute, I don't know if that's, well, is that true? Look at first in your outline, the spirit and his fruit cause you to improve, then triumph over the flesh. Now, the Greek verb crucified is only used four times in the New Testament, not speaking about the crucifixion of Christ. But each time it's used, it's talking about something that's being killed or executed. So here, it's the flesh that's being killed or executed, crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. And what he's saying is, it's dead. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, not dead in my life. I'm still battling. Anybody with me on this? All three of you. Wait, wait, wait. One more time. Do any of you battle with the flesh? Can I see your hand? Thank you! Whew, man, I was starting to get afraid here. So, it's dead. And what he means is this. It's not reigning over your life anymore. It doesn't rule over your life. It's not holding you in inescapable bondage. Listen, all your non-Christian friends are in bondage to sin and to the flesh. In bondage. You have been delivered from that bondage, though you still struggle. And MacArthur says it this way, quote, like a chicken with its head cut off, the flesh has been dealt a death blow, crucified. Although it continues to flop around in the barnyard of earth in this life until the last nerve is stilled. And, and don't we wish that that chicken was dead, right? Crucified looks back to the cross to the time when the death of the flesh was actually accomplished. But because we still live on earth, we still have our humanness, we still have that sin residuum and that memory of sin, we have not yet entered into the future fullness of that past event. But we can experience growth. The more you seek to be filled with the Spirit, the less you're going to deal with the deeds of the flesh. So if you go after that, you keep your cup up, so Lord, I want willing in everything, in every detail. I want to be receiving. I want to be receptive. I want your fruit to work through, to, to live through me. I want your spirit to, to dominate my life. Then you're going to see more and more victory, though you'll still be in the battle. Because the flesh is defeated forever, we now live in the realm where Christ reigns over us by His Spirit more and more. We should live according to the Spirit and not to the flesh. And that's what Paul's saying here. It's like, look, we have now the key, the Spirit of God through us. Some of you battling, again, maybe you're doing too much focus on not sinning and not enough focus on being dependent, being filled, and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit through you. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit demonstrates you have been transformed. 
transformed. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also, what's it say? Walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. What he's saying is if you have the Spirit, you're living by the Spirit, you have the Spirit, then show Him. Right? What he's telling you is show Him. This is how you overcome these issues of the flesh is you walk. Now here's what's so cool. The word walk, and the Greek is so exact, that it actually is talking about walking in formation. And what he's telling you is this. It's like you're an army, and you're all, you know how they march together in step, right? Please nod your head, you've seen it somewhere. You've maybe not done it, but you've seen it. So understand, that's what he's talking about here, and what he's saying is walking in the Spirit is developed in community, together. We need each other's help. Would you say amen? You need each other's help. Wait, no, no, wait. So let's, let's, Gene's not in this service so I can be blunt. There were times in our marriage when I was not exactly in the spirit, which means I'm in the flesh, and Gene is just singing in the spirit, and I'm leaning on her heavy to actually start living in the spirit. Anybody experience that? And there were times when that little hunk of Christian femininity was fleshing out. And I was in the Spirit, and she needed to depend on me in order to actually step up, deal with her sin, and walk in the Spirit. And there have been situations with brothers and sisters in this body where I have leaned on those who are in the Spirit to be living in the Spirit myself. And I'm confident there's been others in the body who've been, you know, really struggling, had a bad attitude, and they desperately needed others to help them to step up to walk in the Spirit. Are you tracking with me? That's what he's saying. To walk is literally us walking together. Us helping each other to live in the Spirit. And you all know it's true. We desperately need it. And when you're kind of Okay, can you, can you admit this? I'm, I'm, I'm going way off notes here. Okay, so hang with me. You're just going, rah, 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 right? Anybody ever done that? That's called complaining. And you get around somebody who reminds you of how thankful they are, how blessed they are, and they're manifesting joy and love and peace and patience. You know what it does if they're really strong in the spirit? It basically, rah, 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 it just stops. You just stop. Because the Spirit of God works in your own heart to tell you, I should be like that. Not like rah, 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 but like manifesting the joy and love and joy that, that is in Christ and the peace that we have in Christ. Are you hearing me? This is what he's saying. This is the walk he's talking about. If you live by the Spirit, let's walk together by the Spirit of God. Not pushing each other down, not tearing each other apart, but thirdly, the work of the Spirit will cause us to remain in unity. Verse 26, walking by the Spirit will cause us to treat each other differently in unity. Verse 26 says, let us not become boastful. Let us not challenge one another or envy one another. That's true, isn't it? Fleshly living is always self-centered, self-focused, self-satisfying. We looked at that last Sunday. But in contrast, living in the Spirit is living for Christ and living for others. And so as you begin to walk in the Spirit, then you're going to begin to be conscious about I'm living for Christ, I'm living for others. I'm not going to be boastful. I'm not going to brag about what I'm doing. Legalism, and there were some people in Galatia and the Galatian churches that were very legalistic, even though they were you know, not trying to trust in you know, the works to be saved, but they were legalistic. And sometimes, have you ever noticed that legalistic people are like... I'm better than you, right? Because they're like, I do this, and I don't do this, and oh, man, look at me, and I'm so, and I'm this, and they do this comparison thing, and that's what he's talking about here exactly when he says boastful. It's you're focusing on your accomplishments, your walk with God, your own power, and you forget that you've been shown incredible grace and mercy from God himself. He's going to tell us in chapter 6, verse 3, when you think you're something, when you're actually nothing, and that's what he's going to focus on. Listen, one more time. How many of you were created by God? Anybody? How many of you were redeemed by God? You got nothing to boast about. 
I'm on the top of that list. I'm a creation, and I'm a redeemed, rebellious creation that has now been redeemed by Christ, not because of anything I did, because of everything He did. I got nothing to boast about. It's all a measure of His grace and mercy in my life, right? So therefore, that's how we respond. In fact, we don't challenge each other. The second word in verse 26, and that means to call out, to provoke a person to anger. And what's happening in the church is they're kind of jumping on each other. They're, they're like trying to correct each other because there's this false teaching going on, and there's the legalists and the, the people who are free under grace, and they're not getting along, and they're jumping on each other. And he goes, no, let's not do that. Let's live filled with the Spirit and accept one another and encourage each other to be manifesting the Spirit of God. And finally, he warns envying each other. This is the sin that's rooted in, write it down, insecurity. One of the worst forms of pride uh, manifested today. Uh, for them, their possessions, their abilities, their accomplishments take center stage. <clears throat> they act nice, but they want to keep up with other people. They're comparing themselves on a horizontal level. Instead of saying, you know what, I want to be like Christ, what they're saying is, I just want to be better than you. And he's saying, that's not the right perspective that you envy one another. Listen, to be filled with the Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit, you want to be like Christ and see His fruit be manifested and influence one another. You don't want to just be looking horizontally, comparing yourself to other people. That's not anything that God wants you to be doing. He wants you to be looking vertically. So walk in the Spirit together in step together. All right? So let's take this home. Ready? Letter A, I couldn't pass this by. The filling of the Spirit is the first command of marriage. First command of marriage. Before marriage is described in verses 22 to 33 of Ephesians chapter 5, there is a main command that sets the stage and is linked to that instruction. You've heard me say this before. And it is Ephesians 5.18, which is to be filled with the Spirit. The number one command in marriage, one more time, is to be filled with the Spirit. Say that with me. The number one command in marriage is to be? That's it. Who wouldn't want to live with somebody who is known for their love, peace, patience, kindness? I mean, who wouldn't? That's the key to a marital relationship. Listen, stop looking at your spouse, stop complaining about your spouse, and start looking to your God. You don't change anybody by complaining about them, by grousing about them, by putting them down. You change them by showing them Christ. So as you draw from His strength and let His fruit be manifested in and through your life, God will transform and improve your marriage. Eventually, you're going to wear them out. You say, I can't love that person. I can't change that person. I can't get along with that person. Then try the divine alternative and let the Spirit of God work through you. As He manifests His love and His joy and His self-control, it will change your relationship dramatically. Letter B, the fruit of the Spirit is what makes Christians and churches attractive. Jesus says it so clearly on the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your what? Your good works. Right over that word good, there's moral good in the Greek language, and there's attractive good. This is attractive good. The word is, they may see your attractive works and glorify your Father in heaven. Most non-Christians, you're not sinning is not all that attractive to them except to show that you're not enslaved to sin. But this verse says, when you're filled with the Spirit, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, shining through you, then, then when that's demoed, you become attractive. Those good works become attractive. In fact, the good news is definitely a message that has to be shared. You have to tell them what Christ did, that Christ was God who died on our behalf, rose from the dead, and when we put our hope in Him, not that we do any work, but put our hope in Him, then He covers us with His righteousness. He can change us internally, regenerate us, and it's all the work of God, divine accomplishment, nothing about your human achievement. It's all what God did. When that happens and His fruit is manifested in and through you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, definitely you become a powerful witness of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith because you're demonstrating these attractive good deeds. 
People are like, why are you this way? Why do you love this way? How come you have so much joy and peace, especially as our world is declining? How can you have peace? You can explain to them, it comes from God. It comes from Christ. You can be an attractive witness by just manifesting the fruit of the Spirit around the lost. And letter C, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit is a gradual symmetrical process. Don't you love that? Symmetrical. In other words, like that fruit tree in your backyard, it takes time to produce good fruit. Does fruit grow automatically in a moment? Yes or no? No, it takes time. Just like marking your kid's growth on the door jam, it's progressive, it's gradual, so is the manifestation of fruit of the Spirit through your life. It's going to be more and more progressively, but remember, it's all the fruit. That's what he means, symmetrical. It's that nearly not one or two aspects, but always grows together. And then, letter D, never forget the point of this passage, is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit is inevitable. If you're a Christian, you're going to demonstrate the fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And anyone saved by faith will become a person whom the fruit of the Spirit grows in time. And that fruit will be seen, obvious, supernatural, and increase, Second Peter says. In fact, the question you need to ask yourself is this. Do I see God's fruit in and through my life? Am I filled with the Spirit? If you're not, you need to turn to Christ. Not only positionally, not a religion, but He needs to transform you internally, regenerate you, indwell you with His Holy Spirit so that He can work through you. You need to turn from your sin in repentance. You need to depend on Him by faith. Believe he died for your sin, rose from the dead, and following him will manifest fruit. Listen, today, the main goal is that you would leave here much more fruity, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time in your word. We pray that you would be honored and glorified by how we respond to the truth of your word. We pray, Father, that you would be pleased with our response and that you might do your work in such a way that only you would get all the glory for what you'll do. We love you and we thank you and we praise you that we can depend on you for everything and moment by moment rely on you to manifest yourself in any situation. And we love you and thank you for that truth and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.